I want to read to you uh, the prophecy that came Sunday night because there was obviously no intention on my part to give this prophecy. I'm hearing it for the first time, and there's a concept in here that for me was new, and I, I'm listening to it as, as the Lord is giving it. But I think it's so relevant to the services this week, obviously, and not only to this week, but as we look at where we're going, where you're going with us, and if you're part of this outpouring, uh, if you're part of the revival tree, as Alan calls it, if you're listening to Gary Carpenter, Alan Taylor, Jim Martin, Bronk Flint, Homer Bettencourt, all of us guys, uh, you're hearing the same message, but you're part of this and of of course, what the Lord said Sunday night was relevant to these meetings, but I think it has something to be said concerning where we're all going together. Listen to this. Uh, we've entitled it Cries of Intercession. For know this, says the Spirit of the Lord, that I am hearing the cries, the inner cries of my people. The internal intercession that goes beyond the flesh or the mind. Just as it was in the days when Israel cried out in the natural, for intercession was on their hearts to be delivered. I say that I'm placing and have placed inside of you an internal intercession. And as I heard the cries of their hearts for deliverance, and the intercession came up before me as in a desire for deliverance out of the bondage that they were in, I came and I brought them forth in like manner there is inside of each one of those who know me and are following me on this path towards an outpouring. There is a cry in your heart and an internal intercession taking place for these things to be made manifest. And this is why, very methodically, I'm bringing forth these types of teachings to you. Because beyond your knowledge, you've been praying them into existence. Just like my children of old prayed and mourned, and were of that type in the flesh in intercession, crying out for deliverance. Even so, likewise, in this hour in which I have called those who are born of my spirit beyond their knowledge, beyond that place of understanding, that when you're praying in these days, and when I grip your heart even in worship, it is to bring about the fullness of this outpouring says the Spirit of the Lord. Now, there's one more paragraph, but I want to say this first. Here's the new concept, or here's what I had never really, until I'm hearing this, normally we think, or I think, the revelation um, that we're hearing from the teacher is birthed by the teacher, and that's correct. In other words, they, they prayed it into existence they studied it into existence. It was built inside of them, line on line, precept on precept. We know how revelation works. And so they come to a place of maturity 
so that they're able, the Holy Spirit you know, polarizes all that and it comes into a place where they understand, okay, I've got it, now I can teach it to the body of Christ. And that's how teaching works. But the Word tells us in Romans 8.27, the latter part of it, the last part of the verse, because He, the Holy Spirit, maketh intercession for the saints, plural, according to the will of God. So in Romans 8.26 and 27, there is an application not only for the individual, but for the corporate body of Christ. And what I'm hearing here is that and we'll read this last paragraph and maybe it'll give some more clarification, but it's like as we're going forward together and as we're praying and as we're praying and interceding in in our daily tongues of worship and praying before the Lord, everything that we need as a group, the Lord is going to get over to us in wisdom, revelation, and knowledge for us to put together all the pieces and have all the pieces necessary. You remember that first lesson that we got on Sunday, which was incredible. It was like the Lord spent so much time and energy, had the, the people of Israel spend so much time and energy in preparation for the tabernacle, um, Moses, Moses' tabernacle, and on and on and on. But when it was ready, he moved in. So every intricate part of that was prepared. So it's not just what the Lord is telling us, and this is where we come into play. It's not just the teacher. Yes, the teacher has to be prepared. He has to pray. Uh, he has to seek God. He had, the, the revelation is built... But as the, as we're crying out, as we're praying, the Lord is hearing our prayers. God, give us everything that we need in knowledge for outpouring. So what does he do? He'll, he will, part of our prayer is, or part of the answer to that prayer is going and getting the men or the people, the women or whoever, whoever's close enough to those revelations who have those things inside of them mature enough to be able for him to be able to finish it up and then deliver it to the body of Christ so that we get every intricate part necessary for, if you want to say it, the building of this tabernacle so that he can move in. Do you understand that? So it's like the Lord saying, you've got a part in this. Your help praying in these types of revelations. And these types of teachings and those who have doctrine and those who have a place of understanding will stand in like manner as you're hearing now to bring forth these things so that the cries of your heart are answered so that the intercessor now like this, this so that the intercessor and the teacher are both one. In other words, your prayers helping bring about. What is being taught? Bringing forth a purpose, an absolute divine purpose to be fulfilled together, says the Spirit of the Lord. So rejoice in these days that beyond your knowledge, you, yourself, those in the pews, those in the seats, those that are watching, 
beyond your knowledge, on a daily basis, your cries are coming up before me. And I'm bringing these things to pass. And you'll see that all these things work together for your good, says the Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. That sounds like Romans 8, 26 and 27 as well. 28. Hallelujah. Have you enjoyed this? Hallelujah. Myself included. So, Pastor Jim, please come. We appreciate all this. Uh, give us another piece to this incredible revelation knowledge that we need to go in tonight. I appreciate that. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm going to continue in this teaching on spiritual warfare. And I know that a lot of it is very different from what we've heard over the years. But yet the word is the word. And it's not going to change. And God is... Uh, he is working in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. You know, that's a popular verse people like to use. The thing is, you have to let him do that work. He's not going to force it. So we're letting him work in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. He's bringing about what you would call a perfection in our lives, a scriptural and spiritual stability so that we can handle the outpouring and revival and not see it stop, that it, it will continue and it will spread, unlike any other revival that we've ever had, ever seen in the past. And there have been some good ones. But usually what's happened in every one of them, there's been some sort of doctrinal error about something. Yeah. Well, we can't have that. With Jesus, there was no doctrinal error. With the Apostle Paul, you know, there was no doctrinal error. Now, they were all growing. We understand that. But they're walking on a path into a place ahead of us, you know, setting an example for us, following in the footsteps of Jesus, if you will. And, uh, you know, that's what we're doing. Not every church that says we want revival is really pressing into revival. They want it, uh, but it's almost like they want it on their terms. We want revival and God will tell you how it's going to work. Well, here and in Dayton and Tulsa and wherever else people are walking this path, we want revival, but we want it on God's terms. And sometimes that's uncomfortable to the flesh because God says, if you want it on my terms, here's what it takes. And not along, uh, not only with, you know, the, uh, the concept of mortification of the flesh, but that mortification of the flesh includes um, you know, correction of doctrine, things that we believed that maybe aren't right. Just because you believe it doesn't make it true. Just because you're sincere doesn't mean that it's true. So we're pressing into God, and some of this has to do with the spiritual warfare, because just like with Jesus, just like with the apostles, demons are going to rise up. They're going to do what they can to try and stop us. The emphasis on that is they're going to do what they can. They can't do whatever they want. They can only do whatever they can, and we play a role in that. That's right. Because we have the ability to stop them. It's very simple. Well, we've learned a lot. I'm not going to go in, back and do a whole lot of review, but we've learned that we have dominion over demonic powers. And that, uh, you know, when Adam sinned, we saw in Genesis how that Genesis chapter 3, that God was speaking to the serpent, which represents Satan. And he cursed Satan. 
And he told Adam, cursed is creation because of what you've done. But nowhere did he curse man. Nowhere. And nowhere did he say, I revoke your dominion. He didn't say that. He just said, you, you, you sin, you die. That's the way it is. So Adam sinned and he died. But he didn't lose that dominion. And so for all these years, humanity has had a place of dominion in God's creation. We didn't really understand it. Because if you don't understand what you have, then how are you going to operate in it? You know, um, if, if I give you, you know, a, a piece of equipment. Well, let me, let me give you an example. When I first started learning how to operate soundboards, uh, I can remember looking at this thinking, Good heavens, look at all these buttons and all these knobs and all this and all that. This, what is this? It doesn't make any sense. And, and then the guy that was helping me, he said, well, here's what it does. And once he explained it to me, it's like, oh, well, that's not so complicated after all. But I didn't know. If he had just said, okay, you run the sound, I'm going home. <laughs> Lord help us. <laughs> We'd be in a heap of trouble. Well, see, I had to learn. Likewise, in the body of Christ, there's not been enough learning. There's, there's been an, a whole lot of, hey, that sounds good. I think I believe that. But if it's not truth, it doesn't do us any good. So we've been learning here this week some things about spiritual warfare that maybe we haven't heard in the past and some things that um, are really hammering some of the traditions that are out there. And the thing is, when that takes place, you have a choice. When you hear something that flies in the face of what you've always believed, you have a choice what you're going to do. Are you going to search the scriptures to find out if it's true? Or are you just going to say, nope, nope, never believed it that way. And just walk away continuing believing whatever you believed in the past. Well, if you don't search the scriptures... Um, Here's the thing, once you hear truth, if you don't search the scriptures to confirm it, then you know what? You pretty much deserve what you get. Because if somebody's crying out, oh God, I want to know you, oh God, I want to walk in your truth, in your presence, and God says, okay. Then he brings somebody into your life some way, somehow, who's going to deliver to you truth, that's going to help you get what it is you've been asking for, and then you reject it. What can God do? Likewise, um, you know, when you get into the Bible and you start reading about, uh, when you read it and you're focusing on, okay, what can I see and hear about Satan and about demons and all this kind of, you know, this, this spiritual warfare. And you're just reading to try to find out what God has said. What you discover is the fact that um, in the Old Testament, uh, the pre-Jewish people, you know, Abraham, Noah, people like that before the Jewish nation. And then on into, uh, you know, Exodus when the Jews became a nation and, and what have you. Um, there's no warning. God did not give them a warning about witches. He didn't give them a warning that, you know, witches are going to put spells on you. He didn't give them a warning about, now demons, you better watch out. These demons, they're hiding behind every rock. They're going to get you. No, it's, it's not in there. Now, he did say, those pagan cultures that are into all that stuff, he said, you leave them alone. Don't even let them in your camp because they'll have an impact on you and draw your heart away from me. But he didn't say anything about they're going to put spells on you. 
they're going to you know make your ears fall off whatever they didn't he didn't say that and then likewise in the new testament you know uh, jesus demonstrated that authority but when he sent the 12 out two by two when he sent the 70 out two by two he just said go out there you know heal the sick and uh, raise the dead tell the people about the kingdom and so he never said and and if you come across a place where there's a bunch of witches and occult stuff stay away from it right? because you guys aren't born again you don't have a clue you don't have a chance he didn't say that and the 70 when they came back they said Lord even the devils are subject unto us a bunch of bunch of lost people don't have the Holy Ghost can't pray in tongues they're subject unto us in your name they, they were amazed at this. And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, praise God, that's wonderful. I saw Satan fall and so forth. But guys, guys, don't be rejoicing simply because you have authority over demons. You need to be rejoicing over having your name written in the book of life. So the focus is on who you become in Christ. Well, the more you know who you are in Christ, guess what? You don't need demon casting out seminars. You don't need book after book after book after book on how to identify the work of Satan. You don't need all of that. And you can't find where there was a strong emphasis on this in either the Old or the New Testament. You know, Acts 10.38 talks about how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and fire who went about, uh, Holy Ghost and power, who went about doing good and healing all that were oppressed of the devil. What it doesn't say is that all that he healed were oppressed of the devil. It just says he healed all that were oppressed of the devil. So there's, there's a, a difference here that a lot of us, a lot of Christians have not caught on to. Now, again, some people might think that I'm implying that um, well he he doesn't know that that Satan is alive and well on planet earth he doesn't know and understand about demons he doesn't and and the thing is I do I remember one time there was a guy he was in our church he was preaching everything was going fine and then he this service he starts preaching this weird stuff um, one of the things that he did was tell the people in the congregation, now I've got this prayer team. And now this guy was from a, um, a nation on the African continent. Well, anyway, he said, I've got a prayer team back home and uh, we're going to pray for your families. And if you've got children who are in rebellion to God, what I want you to do is write down their name and their date of birth. And my prayer team is going to break the power of the stars over their lives. In other words, the date of the zodiac is really what it came down to. And I'm like, do what? Do what? And then he called a prayer line. You know, if you want to be healed, come up, I'm going to pray for you. And he's praying for people. And this one fellow, he had been diagnosed, I think it was some kind of a cancer or whatever. But anyway, uh, this preacher, he prayed for him. And the guy, you know, fell down. And regardless of whether it was a genuine move of the Holy Spirit that he fell down, bottom line was he fell down. And then that preacher stood over him and said, I mix your blood with the blood of Jesus. I mix your blood with the blood of Jesus. And I'm thinking, that's it. So anyway, um, I did not cause a scene in that service. It was over. And uh, I knew the time was going to come when I would be 
dealing with this. Well, he goes back to Africa. Now, the reason I emphasized that he's from a nation in Africa was because, no disrespect, but when you get over on that continent, there is such an emphasis on a fear of the demonic. And it's not just a fear. This is the weird part. A respect for the demonic. Mm -hmm. A respect of what the witches and the warlocks and all can do. No, there should never be any respect of any kind for what, oh, but Brother Martin, you don't understand. Why, they've got power. <laughs> okay, they have power. I have more. That's right. Why should I respect them? They're going to burn in hell forever. Why should I respect them? I'm a child of Almighty God. I'm baptized with the Holy Ghost. I got the power of the Holy Spirit on the inside. Why should I respect anything about them? Well, but that's how it is over there. Well, anyway, um, his representative here in the States contacted me and said, you know, Brother so-and-so is coming back. We'd like to preach in your church. I said, well, you know, um, before we actually set up a date, um, when he gets here, you know, we'll talk. Well, is there, is there a problem? I said, well, you know, we'll just talk when he gets here. Well, a couple of days later, I get a phone call from Africa. And... Uh, I said, you know, he's asking me, you know, well, we want to come. You know, is there a problem? I said, you know what? When you get here, it's okay. We'll sit down and talk. I wanted to talk in person. He says, well, you know, uh, brothers in Christ should be able to, you know, talk and communicate. Finally, I was like, okay, fine. And I told him, I said, you know, the whole thing about breaking the power of the stars. And now, I'm condensing this, Okay. I said, you know, that, that's not right. You don't do that. And he said, if you understood more about spiritual warfare, you would understand this. And I said, I do understand about spiritual warfare. And I follow the pattern of Jesus and the apostles when I'm dealing with spiritual warfare. And what you did is not right. And to think about the mixing the blood and all that. Well, anyway... Um, the phone conversation ended, you know, amicably. But I wrote out, I don't know, man, it might have been five, seven, eight, ten pages, whatever, all kinds of scripture proving this is wrong. And I sent it to him, I sent it to his representative here in the States, and I sent it to a pastor friend where this guy had preached. And the pastor friend in the States called me and said, he's never done any of this in our church. We don't know where this is coming from. I said, well, he did it here. And uh, that was pretty much the last I heard of it. I would, I would have been willing to sit down and talk some more. But, how are you going to refute the Word of God that's left in context? Now, the point I'm getting at is this. I do agree that Satan is still around. And I do agree that there are demons. You see it in Scripture. In fact... When you go over to the uh, book of Revelation, you see a lot of demonic activity. But here's what's interesting. If you read through the book of Revelation, especially once you get past chapter 3, just think about this. How many times do you see the Bible telling us that Satan is the one releasing all the havoc and all of the disasters? He isn't doing it. God is the bold judgments... And the third angel, he released this. You see what I'm getting at? Satan's not the one doing it. In fact, 
Why don't you go through sometime, if you want to, read the book of Revelation and just find out how much Satan is really doing. Well, you know, there's the, the, the false prophet and the beast. I get that. I totally get that. But read the book of Revelation and compare what you see Satan doing to humanity and everything that God is releasing on this planet. And what you're going to find out, guys, is that Satan is not doing as much to humanity in the book of Revelation as what maybe we've been led to believe. Now, when it comes to demons, I know that... Well, like, for example, over in uh, the book of Daniel, uh, chapter 10, you know, Daniel's praying. And I think he, what, prayed for 21 days, and then finally, you know, an angel shows up and said, Hey, listen, from the moment you started praying, I was released. Okay, now, little side note on that one. Do you have any idea if, if Daniel, who was not even filled with the Holy Spirit, not even born again, prays, and the moment he starts praying, heaven gets involved? What do you think is happening when we pray? The moment we start praying, you better believe. I mean, God even said in His Word, look, if you pray according to my will, I move. I move. Now, He doesn't always move exactly according to the plan we might lay out to Him. But he moves. See, that man, that should give you encouragement. I remember one time I was praying about some people. And like almost every day, I'm praying for like some family members, people in our church, so on and so forth. And calling, some people calling out by name and all. But I remember a time, one time, uh, is oh, a few years back. I'm praying, you know, God, you know, moving, you know, so and so's, you know, these people's lives, whatever. And he spoke to me and he says, What makes you think I'm not? <laughs> And I stopped and I thought, yeah, okay. And he went on to, to let me know, when we pray for people, family members, friends, people in government, when we pray, God's moving. But he can't force those people to change their ways. But he is moving. And so I'm praying, you know, I'm, there's somebody that, uh, you know, they need Jesus. And so I'm praying, oh God, you know, send the Holy Spirit and, and send laborers and, and send conviction and all that. For all you know, they're having dreams of Jesus every night. But they can still put up resistance. God, let them be miserable. For all you know, they are. <laughs> God hears and He's answering. And He is moving. Well, see, Daniel prayed to that, that um, uh, angel shows up and he says, Look, from the moment you started praying, I was released. But the prince of Persia, he resisted me. So another way to say that maybe would be the principality of Persia. Okay, he resisted me. Then Michael came along. He helped me out. Here I am. All right, so... Think about this. A principality was stopped in what he was doing by two angels. Now think about it. The one that was sent to minister to, uh, an answer to Daniel and then Michael. And that principality could do nothing. Now why was it that the angel and Michael were able to do this? Because somebody who believed God wasn't even born again was praying. How much more us? And see, I'm fully convinced, even in my own life, that I've never really believed in my prayers the way I should have. You know what I'm saying? 
I, I just, I'm taking for granted going through the motion. That might be a way to, yeah. to say that. Yeah. Going through the motion and, and not even really thinking that something's happening. But good heavens, even Jesus was talking about, look, you're a parent. You know, if, if your child asks you for bread, what are you, you going to give him a snake? Or, I mean, I, you know what I'm taught passage? I forget all the wording he said. He said, you need to know that when you ask about the Holy Spirit being sent, God's going to send him. He's your father. He'll move. Well, see, the more that we understand that is the more we're going to understand, okay, if some lost guy could pray and activate two angels who could stop the Prince of Persia, what in the world can we as a congregation do right here in Immokalee? Right there in Dayton. How much more? So we can't take for granted our prayers. We can't take for granted the authority that God has revealed in Scripture. We've got so... You know, there's a song years ago. We've got the power in the name of Jesus. Remember that? That song? Oh, you know, great. We sang it, but I'm not so sure we really believed it. Just a lot. Just, you know, something you sing. A feel-good song. And then afterward, you, did you believe what you were singing? Oh, yeah. I believed it. Well, we say we do because we know we're supposed to say we do. And we want to convince ourselves we believe it. Well, see, this is a part of getting to the, the point of not just saying we believe it, but living it so that we don't have to say we believe it. It's demonstrated in our lives. So, yeah, um, you know, demons are revealed in Scripture. They are active. They're out there. So I'm not denying that they are there. And when it comes to the whole thing of um, discerning, is it a demon or is it not a demon? Haven't we all kind of gone through that at times? You know, what are we dealing with? And some people, man, everything is a devil. Everything. And, and guys, it's just not like that. Um, there were cases in Scripture, well, the four Gospels, where Jesus was dealing with people who had afflictions, and the afflictions were demonically related. Two examples. Uh, in Luke eleven fourteen, Jesus cast out what's referred to as a dumb devil. In other words, this person was mute and couldn't speak. Well, he cast the devil out, and the Bible says the dumb spake, or that mute person was then able to speak. So somehow, some way, there was a demon dealing with this man's physical body, keeping him from being able to speak. The devil was cast out. The man was healed, slash, delivered, and he could speak. And then, in Luke chapter 13, Jesus <laughs> he goes to church. Do you ever notice how, like in Scripture, the four Gospels, every time Jesus went to church, trouble started? <laughs> Somebody got mad. <laughs> That's the way it goes. <laughs> anyway, you know, he shows up, Luke chapter 13, he shows up there at the synagogue, and it talks about this lady who had this spirit of infirmity, and she was, you know, bent over 18 years. 18 years. She's, she's bent over. Now, I don't know how far she's bent over. I've seen pictures of people bent over to where, like, their nose is almost touching their knees. And that's how they're walking around. They're, so that's kind of like what this lady was doing. So I don't know how far over she was bent, but 
For 18 years she's like that. And Jesus ministered to her, and I, I, I think the exact words were, um, you know, you're loosed, she's loosed from, from this infirmity, alright? Now, she was able to, you know, stand upright and so forth, and everything's fine and dandy. There's more to that than what Scripture reveals. Because when you hold a particular position for a length of time, your bones and joints begin to freeze in that position. So for her to be bent over for 18 years, her spine, the joints, and so forth, was all frozen in that position. So it wasn't just a matter of that spirit of infirmity being driven away from her. She received a miracle healing. Her joints, her body, everything was loosed. Everything was lubricated. She was able to stand up and and move and do her thing. And if you remember that story, the pastor... You know the the leader of the synagogue. He got mad about it. I mean, how stupid! How stupid! You got somebody who's been attending your church all these years, been like that, and then they get healed, and you get mad. Come on! You talk about pride. Yeah, there it is, guys. Listen, little heads up. As we press into this outpouring and this revival, <laughs> that pride is going to rear its ugly head in a lot of pastors out there. They're going to be jealous of what's happening. Especially when what's happening is the very thing they said can't happen today. And when it happens to people in their church. And the people bent over with a spirit of infirmity come walking into their church healed. You follow what I'm saying? And they start testifying. I went over there to the Family Prayer Center of Immokalee. And, and uh, I got prayed for. And, and wait a minute. What's that pastor's name that prayed for you? Oh, no, it wasn't a pastor. Some guy sitting on the back row. <laughs> I don't know his name. <laughs> That's where we're headed, praise God. That's what we're after. Hey, listen. Press into God to the point where you don't feel like you got to get everybody to Pastor Bronk for him to pray for them. <laughs> we're joint heirs with Christ. Every one of us. Now, Jesus also ministered to people who um, were dealing with demons and there was no physical affliction involved. A couple of examples. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus, he's in church, he's ministering, and some guys, some... The Bible says um, it was a spirit of an unclean devil. Stood up and said, Let us alone. Jesus, hold your peace and come out of him. Well, you know, the people were kind of shocked at this. Uh, when you've never seen anything like this, it makes an impact, all right? But that, that incident, there was uh, no mention of an affliction whatsoever. It's just this guy had a, an act-up demon, you know, a spirit, an unclean spirit. Well, then, one that we all are very aware of, uh, Mark chapter 5. That's where uh, Jesus, they, you know, he and the apostles get in the boat to go across over to the, the region of the Gadarenes. And then here comes that guy that cut himself and he's naked, living in the tombs and so forth. And, and Jesus cast the demons. You know, we are legion. My name is legion. We are many. Cast the demons out. And they go into the pigs and about 2,000 pigs run down into the water and uh, they die. And then Jesus and, the, and his followers, the apostles, they get back in the boat and they leave. Well, 
There's no mention of this guy having a physical affliction. Now, granted, if he's cutting himself, he's got cuts. And maybe, I have no doubt, that there was healing that manifested from where he had cut himself. But there's no mention of a physical affliction. It's just dealing with the demons and moving on. And then there are times when Jesus ministered to people, healing, but there are no demons, no devils of any kind mentioned. For example, I'll give you two examples. In John chapter 5, there's this lame man. He'd been lame 38 years, and he was brought to the pool of Bethesda. And it's just amazing. Jesus, he walks up, and he says, um, you want to be healed? <laughs> and the guy says, well, duh. <laughs> he says, yeah, you know, but like when the angel comes, the water is stirred. I, every, somebody else beats me into the water and I can't get in there. And Jesus says, all right, I'll tell you what. Pick up your bed and go home. <laughs> and the guy, 38 years, he's lame. 38 years of deteriorating muscle tone in his legs, ankles, feet, and everything. And Jesus says, take up your bed and go home. The guy says, okay. So he picks up his bed and takes off. You shouldn't be able to walk that well after 38 years of being lame. That's right. You shouldn't. But the guy gets up, takes up his... And then, not only that, but the religious leaders get mad about that too. How dumb. Well, then, one more example. In Luke chapter 17, uh, it talks about how there were ten lepers. And, uh, you know, Jesus, you know, have mercy. And, and so all ten of those lepers were healed. But there's no mention of a spirit of leprosy. You follow what I'm saying? But they got healed. But there's no mention that there was a demon involved. Now, this is interesting because you wonder, how did Jesus know the difference? Well, we're going to get into that here in just a little bit. But look over in Matthew chapter 4. There's something I want to point out that I think is very critical in all of this. And uh, I realize that what I'm getting ready to share could really irritate some people. But, um, you know, that that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, let's see here. If you take a look at, uh, oh, Matthew chapter 4, look at verse 23. It says, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the, of, uh, and preaching the, the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. And his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought unto him all sick people that were taken with divers diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those which had the palsy, and he healed them. And there followed him great multitudes of people from Galilee, and from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, from Judea, and from beyond Jordan. Now look at this. There's something really interesting that caught my attention here. It says in verse 23 that he's going into the synagogues, teaching and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness, and all manner of disease among the people. So, sickness. Now, let's just kind of simplify this. Um, a sickness. Well, got the cold. Got a flu. Or disease. Got polio. 
You understand what I'm saying? There's a, there's a distinct difference here from sickness to disease. But it didn't matter. He still healed them. And then it says that they brought unto him, verse 24, all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases, all different kinds of diseases, and torments. Now that word torments, I looked it up and it's talking about people. There's a physical something that it, it just hurts them. For example, you've got diverse disease, sick people and diverse diseases, the torments, that could be something like uh, rheumatoid arthritis. You know what I'm saying? So it's not necessarily like a disease that we would think of a disease, but it's a physical something that is just tormenting them. And it says, um, diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic. And I thought, now wait a second. Those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic. It's separate. You see that? Two different things. Now, in the body of Christ, what you have today are a lot of people who will tell you, in essence, what they'll tell you is this, all mental illness is a demon. And they'll say, now, if you got somebody that's got a mental something, okay, that's, they need the demon cast. They need that devil cast out of them. But here, what we see is people possessed with devils and those which were lunatic. That phrase, those which were possessed with devils and the word lunatic, totally separate Greek words. Totally separate. And if you look these words up, the phrase, those which were possessed with devils, it's a Greek word. It's um, dahi monizomahi, something like that. And basically what it means is some kind of demonic impact on the individual. Uh, whether it's, you know, the, the demon is hanging onto the person's body or indwelling the person's body, but it's specifically about a demon. But the word lunatic, this is interesting. It comes from the Greek word seleniadzomahi. And when I looked this up, I was reading some commentaries and I thought, this is interesting. Because in some of these commentaries, they were saying, like, uh, let me paraphrase, like a mental condition that is ascribed to the work of demons. And I thought, now wait a second, hold on. That's not what that Greek word is saying. That's what you're telling us it means. It's talking about a mental condition. So we have people who are possessed of devils. Then we have people who are, the Bible says, lunatics. Now guys, as much as this may mess up some people's theology, you need to understand, not all mental illness is a demon. There are some people out there, they've got problems, mental problems. Um, here's something that's really interesting. Several years ago, I did some research on Alzheimer's and the elderly. And what I found is that in uh, many case studies, and you look this up, you'll find it yourself. In many case studies at like maybe nursing homes or whatever, uh, these uh, research people would come in and do these tests and try to find out. Well, bottom line is this. In a whole lot of the, um, the people who have been diagnosed with Alzheimer's, what they discovered is that it's really dehydration. And once they force these people 
to get fluids in, the Alzheimer's conditions went away. And they were back to normal. Well, what was happening was this. The brain was drying out. And the, um, in elderly people, they begin to lose their sense of thirst. And so they don't drink as much. And this contributes to the problem. And they also found out in other studies that for many people, um, elderly people battling Alzheimer's-like symptoms, that what they really have is a deficiency in things like um, magnesium, potassium, and there was something else. Well, when they got these people balanced in those minerals and aminos or whatever, the symptoms went away. So, on the surface, it would look like, you know, grandma's gone crazy. But <laughs> maybe she's just dehydrated. Maybe she needs a balance of the, the nutrients. Because if you notice old people, they tend to not, a lot, not every old person, but a lot of old people, you know, they tend to, they just want to eat whatever they want to eat. I've lived my life long enough and I've earned the right to eat whatever I want to eat. Now bring me them candy bars. Well, I'm not eating my vegetables. Mom, you told me my whole life eat my vegetables. <laughs> now I'm using that example to say that, um, to emphasize, we're seeing a difference here between possessed with devils and those who are lunatic. Now I want to give you another example of this that I, uh, the Lord reminded me of. Um, turn over to Daniel chapter 4. Daniel chapter 4. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. You say, Brother Martin, why do you do that? Because there are a lot of people, Christians today, that don't know the books of the Bible. When I was growing up in church, they made a Sunday school. You had to learn the, the books of the Bible. And then when you could re repeat them by memory, they actually gave us a Bible. That was so cool. Anyway, I still have that Bible too. Um, anyway, in uh, Daniel uh, chapter 4, what's happened is Daniel was talking to Nebuchadnezzar and he gave him a prophecy. Well, in this chapter, uh, in verse 29, chapter 4 verse 29, it says, at the end of 12 months. Now, now what that means is, 12 months after Daniel gave him this prophetic warning. At the end of 12 months, Nebuchadnezzar walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. The king spake and said, Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the house of the kingdom by the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven saying, O king Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken, the kingdom is departed from thee. In other words, God was reminding him, I warned you a year ago about this. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field, and they shall make thee to eat grass as oxen. And seven times, theologians tell us that seven years, shall pass over thee until thou know that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. The same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar and he was driven from men and did eat grass as oxen and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hairs were grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And at the end of the days, at the end of the seven times, the seven years, now, now Nebuchadnezzar is writing this part. I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up mine eyes unto heaven and mine understanding returned unto me. 
And I blessed the Most High, and I praised and honored Him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion, and His kingdom is from generation to generation, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and He doeth according to His will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay His hand or say to Him, What doest thou? At the time my reason returned unto me, and for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor and brightness returned unto me, and my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the King of heaven, all whose works are truth, and his ways judgment, and those that walk in pride he is able to abase. In other words, I learned my lesson. But for seven years, now get this, for, he's the king. For seven years, he's out there living in the field. And his hair is growing. He's sleeping in the field. He's grungy, dirty, stinky, smelly. His, his nails are growing out like claws. Now, if you were to see somebody like that, would you not think they need a devil cast out of them? <laughs> there is nothing in here that he was possessed, impacted, indwelt, whatever, by a demon. Nothing. He basically lost his mind. He, What led to it? Pride. And what does the Bible say about pride? It goeth before what? A fall, destruction, calamity. Yeah. And then he came to his senses. You know what, God? You were right all along. I yield to you and I make this proclamation. I don't know, to me, this is one of the most incredible passages in Scripture. Daniel has this included, what Nebuchadnezzar wrote. Think about that. A Gentile pagan king in the Old Testament wrote part of the Old Testament. And he glorified God in the process. Now, nowhere in the Bible do you see seminars on how to identify demons, how to identify demonic activity, but yet, we have all these seminars, all these books, all these ministries, all these sermons, all this stuff that people are saying, now here's how you identify it. They would have said Nebuchadnezzar is possessed of a demon. But he wasn't. And these people that were brought to Jesus, some were possessed, but some were lunatic. Well, some of these folks today would, would, would have said they all got demons. Well, you know... You can't cast a demon out of where the demon isn't. That's right. <laughs> and so I said, come out. I said, come out. I said, come out in Jesus' name. In Jesus of Nazareth name. In Jesus Christ of Nazareth. You come out. And there's nothing in there. There's nothing. But Jesus knew the difference. Now, Jesus demonstrated here on earth. He demonstrated authority over three realms, three realms. Over nature, remember, peace be still. When he spoke to the wind and the waves, he wasn't speaking to demons. Peace be still. You know, fig tree dry up, water become wine. He, he demonstrated authority over nature. He also demonstrated authority over the human body. Be healed. Be free of your affliction. You know, however he did it, however it was said, but then he also demonstrated authority over demons. Now, when you go into the Bible and you begin to to um, to study this, you begin to realize it was so simple for Jesus in demonstrating this authority over demons. 
Now, our bodies, our physical bodies, have not yet been glorified. I think we all know that. They will be, but they're not right now. And because our bodies are a part of this fallen creation, then what it means is that our bodies are susceptible to every form of sickness, disease, and infirmity. They're susceptible to it. Now, some people would say, Oh, Brother Martin, you don't know what you're talking about. The Bible says, By Jesus' stripes we were healed. Yeah, it does. But the Bible doesn't say, By Jesus' stripes we are immune. Do you understand what I'm saying? And there, there are, I have no doubt, there are Christians, you know, they something attacks their body. Call it a cold. Whatever. It's like they don't want to admit something's happening to their body. How are you feeling? I'll never talk about how I feel. Okay, praise God. I get it. You don't want to confess a bad something over your body. I totally understand that. But yet, you got stuff running out of your nose. <laughs> something's going on here. Well, at least, at least... Be big enough to say, you know what? I praise God for the healing of my body. You know, instead of instead of buying into this thing that, okay, you know what? If you're walking around and somebody says, "What's wrong with your arm?" Ain't nothing wrong with my arm. <laughs> but the bone's sticking out. Ain't nothing wrong with my arm. Yeah, there is. There's something wrong with your arm. <laughs> But by Jesus' stripes you were healed. God sent His word and healed you, delivered you from your destruction. Jesus took the infirmities, bore the sicknesses. We all know that. But there's a reason it says this in the body. Because even God is acknowledging your bodies are fallen and they are susceptible to all kinds of sickness, all kinds of infirmity. It doesn't matter if you want to call it a plague, a pestilence, the cold, the flu. It doesn't matter what name you give it. The body is fallen and susceptible. But healing is made available to us. So yeah, we can fight these things with the, the Word of God and, and the name of Jesus. I get that. But not every sickness, not every affliction is a demon. Well, I've been attacked by a cold demon. <laughs> People say things like that. The flu devil, he's been attacking my body. Well, okay, does that mean that everybody who is attacked with the flu, it's a flu devil? Oh, yeah, Brother Martin. So there's no such thing as a germ and a bacteria that's a result of Genesis chapter 3. Is that what you're telling me? Cursed is creation. And that's why you have all this stuff out there. But praise God, by Jesus' stripes we were healed. So yeah... We are in, if you want to call it, a warfare against this stuff. And Satan doesn't have to be involved in you know, throwing sick bombs in our direction. This stuff's out there. And so therefore, we have to understand, you can rebuke a fever, but it doesn't mean it's a demon. Alright? Now... If you look, well, I'll tell you what. You don't have to look. I'll just reference this. Turn to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. We all know the story of um, what happened when Moses went before Pharaoh. 
Let my people go. And Pharaoh said, I ain't doing it. And Moses, he took his rod and he threw it down and it became a serpent. And then Pharaoh's magicians, they threw their rods down and it became serpents. Well, Moses' serpent rod <laughs> ate their serpent rods. Okay, that should have been a clue right there. <laughs> Let the people go, Pharaoh, all right? And you think, how did they do that? The, the, I mean, okay, I get it with Moses and his rod, okay? But these guys, how did they do that? And then it talks about some of the plagues, how that, uh, and we're not going to go through all the plagues, but, you know, God said, okay, the, the frogs or, you know, whatever. And then uh, uh, one of them was the water turned to blood. Yeah, now, if you go back and read that, yeah. it says that all the water turned to blood. But then it says that Pharaoh's magicians did the same thing. And I'm thinking, now, how could they have done the same thing if all the water had already turned to blood? Well, there had to have been a little bit of water left over somewhere. And they did the same thing. Well, I know what they did. They took red food dye pills and <laughs> threw it in there. No, the Bible says that it turned to blood. And these musicians were ma musicians. These magicians, <laughs> they sang to Pharaoh. <laughs> these magicians, they were able to, on a very limited basis, replicate some of those plagues. And then eventually it got to the point where the magician said, Pharaoh, <laughs> there is a God at work here that we have no idea. Do let these people go. Well, anyway, you know, how in the world did they do that? How were they able to do it? I'm praying about this like, God, I, how? And he began to impress upon me something that I've never thought of. Okay, now think about this. Jesus was talking... To the lady, remember the lady at the well, the woman at the well, and she's a Samaritan and all that. And, and Jesus said, God is a spirit. Okay, well, what is Satan? He's a spirit, right? So we have God, who's God, and then we have Satan, who's a liar, but they're both spirits. Now, who has the authority in this world? This is not a trick question. Go back to Sunday night, work your way up to right now. Who has the authority in this world? We do. We have the authority. And what we see in Scripture repeatedly is God moving through people as a result of their, their obedience, their faith, and their worship. Repeatedly, people begin worshiping God. He begins to move. So there, God says, here's what I'd like you to do. Now, if they obeyed, then God was able to move through that obedience. If they acted in faith, God was able to move through that faith. Now, I'm talking Old or New Testament. And when they would begin to worship Him. Remember, in, in Scripture, it talks about the people began to worship and the glory of God began to fill. The glory of God, the fire, and, and they begin to see this. It's like the obedience, the faith, the worship opens a door for God, a spirit, to move into our midst and our presence to bring about what he wants. Okay, now think about these magicians. Who are they worshiping? 
well, you know, the, the God of the, the frogs and the God of the flies and the God of this. Well, you know, it's just Satan putting on a bunch of different masks. And God was revealing to me, we've got the authority as humans, born again or lost, we've got the authority. And if we give our authority to Satan through our worship, through our obedience to what he wants us to do, through our faith in what power we could get from him, that opens a door for him to begin to move in our midst. Now, I know this goes against the grain of what a lot of people think, but if Satan could just move arbitrarily however he wants, wherever he wants, whenever he wants, guys, this planet would be far worse than what it is right now. Did you know, uh, we, we hear a lot about fasting. You know, we fast, mortify the flesh and so forth and, you know, move deeper into God. I get that. But do you understand there are a lot of devil worshipers who fast to come in contact, greater contact with demons and with, you know, the spirits of darkness? Yeah, this stuff goes on. Well, what are they doing when they fast? They're using their authority in this world to open a door or how, if you don't want to use the word door, whatever, to enable those demons to move and bring about some of the stuff that they bring about. So therefore, you have God. He wants to move. But He moves through us. And then you have Satan and, and these demons. They want to do their things. But they move through the people who give them worship, obedience, and faith. It works both ways. Well, this is something a lot of people don't want to hear, don't want to believe, haven't even heard before. Some people would even refute this. No, Brother Martin, that can't be true. Then just take a look at this planet. Just take a look at people and understand if Satan works through people, you know, if Satan wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and he does it through people, guys, do you understand? This planet would be so much worse than what it is already. The body of Christ is a stabilizing force on planet Earth. Absolutely a stabilizing force. Now, if you look here in John chapter 6, look what Jesus said in verse 38. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Obedience to the will of the Father. And then if you look over in chapter 14, John chapter 14, and in verse 10, Jesus says, Believest thou not that I am in the Father, and the Father in me? The words that I speak unto you, I speak not of myself, but the Father that dwelleth in me, he doeth the works. See that? So Jesus, let me say it this way, Jesus, his obedience, his faith, and his worship enabled God, and obviously through all of this, Jesus is not getting into sin. He's doing the will of the Father. This made Jesus the open door for the Father to work through Jesus to bring about everything that Jesus did. This is what we're after. This is the direction we're going. So that Christ in us, the hope of glory, is going to be able to move through us freely the way that God moved freely through Jesus here on this earth. Jesus was totally submitted to the Father. God is a spirit. And I am here to be a vessel through whom He works. Well, what if Jesus had said, I am not going back to Galilee. Those people don't like me down there. 
I am not going back into that synagogue. Those people tried to stone me the last time I was there. What if he did that? Then guess what? The will of the Father would not have been done the way God wanted. But Jesus said, you know what? I will be obedient unto you. And in that obedience, yeah, you had demons rise up against him. And he just told them, hush up, hold your peace, get out. And they got out. They had to obey him. No matter how much the people out of whom the demons were cast, we don't know what some of those people were involved with. I mean, it talks about over there in Acts about, you know, sorcerers and so forth. Okay, we don't know what some of those people were involved with away from the synagogue. Do you know that there are are people in churches, the churches preach Jesus, preach the Holy Ghost, they're involved with witchcraft outside the church? Weird stuff, man. Weird stuff. We had the church, the first church I pastored, what I found out was that prior to my arrival, I don't know, two, three years before I got there, there were three ladies in the church got mad about something. They went to the church in the parking lot, stood out, stretched their hands toward the church and started speaking curses over the church. Well, that wasn't going to work. That's <laughs> just plain stupid. But it was their attempt to get involved with witchcraft. And they, oh, they wouldn't have called it that way. The point I'm getting at is this. God, hear me out, okay? God is bound by our authority and obedience to Him. He wants everybody born again, right? But until we use our authority and obey, ye must be born again and call upon the name of the Lord, we don't get saved. That's just the way it is. The same thing is true when it comes to devils. You say, well, why are devils so free to roam? Because you got so many people out there that are influenced by demons and they're yielding over to what these demons are wanting them to do. So, yeah, it is a battle, but the thing is, guys, God's given us the victory through Jesus Christ. Now, look in Matthew chapter 17. We're going to close here very soon. Matthew chapter 17. And in verse 19, what's happened is, um, you know, this man brought his son to the apostles. They couldn't cast the devil out. Jesus, he comes down from uh, the Mount of Transfiguration and he's he's able to uh, cast that devil out. And in verse 19, then came the disciples to Jesus apart and said, why could not we cast him out? Isn't that interesting? They believed they could and they ran into an issue. A lot of Christians, these guys weren't even born again. And they're asking, why can we cast him out? We tried. Why can we cast him out? you got Christians today that won't even try. And so Jesus, <laughs> he answers them, because of your unbelief. Well, they obviously didn't know they had any unbelief. Or they wouldn't have asked that question. They would have said, Jesus, you know what? We couldn't cast him out because we are full of unbelief. <laughs> so they ask, why couldn't we? He says, because of your unbelief. For verily I say unto you, if you have faith as great a mustard seed, you shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, it shall remove. Nothing shall be impossible unto you. However, this kind goeth not out but by prayer and fasting. Okay, what is it that needs to be removed in order for the demon to be cast out? What's the unbelief? So therefore, what Jesus is saying is, if you're going to deal with this unbelief, 
it's, you, you got to be involved with some prayer and fasting. Now, prayer and fasting does not give us more authority. What it does is address the unbelief that is hindering us from using our authority. You see that? So we already have the authority. That's there. And us, we're born again. And we receive power now that the Holy Ghost has come upon us. So we have all the goods, if you will. But if there's unbelief in there, it's that unbelief which becomes a barrier to us accomplishing what we're supposed to accomplish. So instead of asking, like these guys, God, why couldn't I? Why can't I? Why isn't it? God's going to come back and say, because of your unbelief. And what we like to do is, oh, no, 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 I have belief. Because I prayed. <laughs> that doesn't mean you have belief. That just means you prayed. All things are possible to him that believes. So there, therefore, I've got to deal with the unbelief. Now look over in James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And here in James chapter 4, just take a look at one verse, because this really sums it up. Submit, John, James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee. A lot of people leave out the first half of that verse. Resist the devil and he'll flee. Yeah, well, you've got to do the submitting part first. <laughs> And this, this word submission, it basically means to be in subjection to. Remember, Jesus said, why call me Lord and, and you don't do what I say? So when we're in total subjection to God, we're going to do what he says. Now, we want to conform to the fullness of the image of Christ. And we know that this is going to require prayer, fasting, worship, and the word. We know this. So therefore, if we get into prayer, fasting, worship, and the word. And what's going to happen is that's going to impact us in our belief level. Meaning it's going to start hammering the unbelief and, you know, breaking it down, you know, breaking the rock into pieces to where it just gets swept out of us. And now that barrier is gone and we begin demonstrating the authority that's already ours. It's in there waiting to be demonstrated. And I'll reference a... Uh, well, let's look at one last verse. Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And we will close with this verse. Mark chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 11. And unclean spirits, when they saw him, Jesus, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. Do you realize this is where we're headed? We talk about being on this path for an outpouring and revival. That's, that's part of it. This verse 11, yeah. When we walk into Walmart and start walking through to get our groceries or whatever we buy there, unclean spirits are supposed to recognize who we are and be afraid of us. Even to the point of falling down right in the aisle. And a deep male voice coming out of a petite little lady. Saying, 
I know who you are. You are a child of the Almighty God, anointed with the Holy Ghost. I say, yep, I am. And you're coming out. <laughs> this, see, this may sound like a cartoon or a fairy tale, but guys, no. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. This is another example of where we're headed. There's no reason for us to be afraid of any demon, of any kind of evil spirit. There's no reason for us to be worried if somebody says, did you know that a witch put a spell on you? There's, there's no reason for us to be afraid. Amen. There's no reason for us to be concerned if, you know, warlocks move next door. There's no reason for us to be worried if Satan worshipers move in next door. Guys, who are we? <laughs> it's Christ in us. The hope of a demonstrated glory in this world. Praise the Lord, we've been made more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Glory to God. Please stand.